So um, tonight I want to talk about prophecy, and um, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I specifically there's I want to talk about false prophets and true prophets and the the difference. In fact, turn to 1 Corinthians 12 first. We're going to do this. I think there's a lot of confusion, and I don't think we're going to. We'll finish this in one night, but we'll get started at least enough to like stir you up to think through some of maybe some of your concepts, concepts that you've had. Um, verse one. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Everybody say, same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. Everybody say, same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God. Everybody say, the same God. Who works all things. Everybody say, all things. In all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Everybody say, common good. That's one of our core values for prophetic ministry. It's for the common good. <laughs> That's just a thought, but some people haven't got that far. Verse 8. For to one is given the word of uh, wisdom through the Spirit, to another word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Everybody say same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. Everybody say same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by, the, by one Spirit. Everybody say one Spirit. To another, effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the distinguishing of spirits. And to another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit. Say, one and the same Spirit. Works all these things. Distributing to each one individually as he wills. And um, I want to just begin tonight by talking about... Um, the way that uh, this this church in Corinth, this is a this is a Greek church. This uh, this came this church came out of a, a Greek culture, and when uh, Paul is teaching them, now we know in First Corinthians 14, which we we may touch on in a few minutes, that these people are prophesying. They're moving in the gifts of the Spirit, and Paul writes to them for in, actually for in several subjects from their marriages, and now he's talking to them about the way that they conduct themselves corporately, spiritually. And when he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware, that first line, actually the word gifts isn't in the original language. It actually reads like this, now concerning the spiritual, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. So he's actually... And I'll explain it in a minute. He's at, his subject in 1 Corinthians 12 really isn't gifts. It's really the spirit realm. He's talking to them about the spirit realm. And you'll notice that the key word, and I had you repeat it, is the word same. Same Lord, same God, same, same, same Lord, same God, same whatever. Spirit, that's it. Same spirit. Same Lord, same God. Oh, I'm sorry. Yikes. You notice... The key, act, the key activation word is the word same. He keeps saying same, 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 same. So the first uh, several verses, he's talking to people who are moving in the gifts. And he says, listen, you may have the gift of wisdom, but it's the same spirit. You may have the gift of knowledge, but it's the same spirit. Listen, it may have this effect, but it's the same spirit. It may have that effect, 
but it's the same Spirit. It's, there's only one God, one Spirit, one Christ. You get the idea. And the key word, the key act, activating word here is the word same. What, what is he talking about? He says this to them. He says, therefore you know that when you were, when you were, um, when you were, therefore I make known to you that no one, no. You know when you were pagans, am I, I am not struggling. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by various idols, however you were led. And no one can say Jesus is accursed by the Spirit. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That, those verses never made sense to me until I realized the context of Paul's exhortation to the Corinthians. He's not saying, well, if someone says Jesus is Lord, then the Holy Spirit came on them. Or if someone says Jesus is cursed, you know, that they're... That they, they, you know, he, what he's trying to say is this. He's saying that when you, when you were uh, uh, polytheists, you know, multiple gods, these people believed in multiple gods. They came out of a culture, the Corinthian culture was a pagan culture, where they believed in multiple gods, and they would believe like in the god of, of fertility, or the god of the harvest, or the god of the sun, or the god of the moon, and they worshipped all hundreds, probably thousands of gods. And so these people are moving in the gifts of the Spirit. You, you get that part, right? They're moving in the gifts of the Spirit. And, they, and Paul's saying, listen, one of you has the gift of wisdom. Another guy has the gift of prophecy. Another guy has a word of knowledge. But it is one Spirit. So you used to believe in multiple gods. And, and some of you think that when you're prophesying, that's one God. Like there's the God of prophecy or the Spirit of prophecy. And then there's someone else has the gift of wisdom and they would their mindset is different gifts the Corinthian mindset is different gifts are different gods and he's saying listen you have the right listen you're, you're the way that you're practicing the gifts that's good your theology's bad but your practice is good let me teach you that these these gifts that you have, these gifts that you're manifesting, there's only one Spirit, there's only one God, there's only one Lord. So you came out of this, out of this theology where there was different gods doing different things, and your gods literally fought one another. So you know how the Chinese New Year, they would have you know, the year of the cat, or they'd have these different kinds of gods. Whatever God dominated that year, it became, they celebrate, this, this year would be the year of whatever, whatever God dominated the year. And he's saying, listen, no one can say Jesus is accursed and have the Spirit and have God on them, have the Holy Spirit on them, and no one can say Jesus is Lord unless... Unless the Holy Spirit is on them. No one can say Jesus is, is accursed and have the Spirit on them. And no one can say Jesus is Lord by the Spirit, except for by the Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying, our God doesn't fight himself. Your gods warred with one another. When you were pagans, you learned that your gods warred with one another. But you've come to a kingdom that has one spirit and many manifestations. And has one gift and, and, and many... And I mean, has one spirit but many gifts. Has one spirit but many effects. Has one spirit but many ministries. And the key operative word here is the same spirit. Here's the point. How much do you need to know to move by the Spirit? These people are moving by the Spirit, and they have polytheism as their eschatology, I mean, as their theology. And what I'm getting at is that people had an experience way before they understood what they were doing. Huh, I know, we don't like this. 
I understand that doctrine is really important. I really believe teaching, knowing the Word, is really important. But it's important for us to understand that because somebody doesn't have perfect theology, doesn't mean that they aren't having an experience with God. There, there is... Uh, let's see if I can say this with... Maybe I'm being a little reactionary. There, there's a whole movement of people that think that you have to know everything about God before you have an experience with God. And I like to show you through the scripture that people had experiences with God over and over and over and didn't have any idea about good theology. They didn't have good theology. And this, this whole, you know, when the, when the, when people started getting saved in the book of Acts, for instance, when the Holy Spirit jumped over the Jewish wall and started saving Greeks, started saving the people from Ephesus, you know, that's where Diana was worshipped. Corinth was the, was the seat of polytheism, where they worshipped other gods. These people who were coming to Christ, when the Holy Spirit began to to you know, touch Cornelius' house, and, and when Philip went down to Samaria, and the Holy Spirit began to touch these people, these people were not, they were not Americans. No, I, I'm just trying to say, like, if you met almost every, any American, and you said to them, you know, do you believe in the creation story? They may not believe in the creation story, but they know what it is. I'm not saying they could quote Genesis word for word. If you said, have you ever heard the story of David and Goliath? They would probably know what it is. If you said to them, did you know that Jesus died on the cross? They may say, I don't believe that. But they wouldn't say, I've never heard that before. (laughs) These people who are getting saved, most of these people that they're coming out of polytheism, they wouldn't know any more about Christianity than you know about polytheism, about their gods, about their practices. And yet the Holy Spirit was falling on them by the tens of thousands to the place that so many of them were getting saved. So many people were getting saved outside of Judaism. Do you understand that before the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles, most of the church were were Jews who now had received the Holy Spirit. So they have the Old Testament. They know God's one God. They understand that there's God, there's God in three persons. They have, they have a foundation. They're looking for the Messiah. Are you with me? When the Holy Spirit falls, when the Holy Spirit breaks the, the, um, when he, when he breaks through the wall, of Judaism and begins to touch the Gentiles, these Gentiles do not have a Judeo-Christian ethic. And you, you may say, well, we're not a Christian nation. I understand how, how that you can argue that one way or another. Europe's the same thing. I mean, most of, most of Europe understands um, Christianity, at least from a distance. These people would not have had any understanding whatsoever. If you told them about Adam and Eve, that would be like Adam and Eve. They wouldn't know that story. Are you following me? So many Gentiles begin to get saved that in Acts chapter 15, they have a council 
where the, the, the senior leaders of the church, the apostles, they all travel to one place, to Jerusalem, for this high council meeting about what they should do about these Gentiles getting saved. How many of you have read that story? And listen, this is kind of an amazing story. If you, you can turn there, we might touch on a few of the verses. So, um, Paul and Silas are there. It says, verse, 15, uh, verse 1, Some of the men came down from Judah and began teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas, it's Paul and Barnabas here, had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they went through all these places. They arrived in Jerusalem, verse 4. They were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done. But some of the sects of the Pharisees who believed stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them into the law of Moses. Some of the Pharisees who believed. Do you understand now? The Pharisees are getting saved. These are not bad Pharisees. These are good Pharisees now. You, I mean, the word Pharisee seems to have a stigma like they're all bad. Now we got good Pharisees. We have Pharisees who love God. And we have, and we have Gentiles who are getting saved. Got me? We don't have a New Testament yet. All we have is the Old Testament. I'm trying to set the stage for you. So the Pharisees, the good Pharisees are saying, listen, these, these Gentiles are getting saved. They, they need to keep the customs of Moses. They need to learn the Old Testament. They need to be circumcised. They need to understand the law. And so there's such a, a debate that, that um, Paul and Barnabas come to, um, to Jerusalem and they have this, this debate. And it says, verse 6, and the apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. And after much debate, listen to this, Peter stood up and said, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart and testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us, and he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do we put, to, put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that we are saved through grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the same way as they also. And the people kept silent, as listen to this, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they had stopped speaking, James answered and said, Brother, listen to me. Simon has related how God first concerned himself about taking among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the prophets agree, and, um, for as is written, after these things I will return. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. I will wall up its ruins, raise up its preachers, so that all the Gentiles who are called by my name might be saved. And, but, and then he gives them, so, he, so all these Gentiles are getting saved. How many of you understand there's a lot more Gentiles than there are Jews in the world? The Gentiles start getting saved, but these are not American Gentiles. You, are you with me? The Pharisees that are, that are good guys have a legitimate concern. We have people coming to Christ who don't know the book. They don't know anything about the book. So it's not just about circumcision, it's about learning the book. Are you following me? 
Evidently, the Pharisees have a good enough argument, the good guy Pharisees, that Paul and Barnabas say, we need to go talk about this with the rest of the leaders. And they start talking about what they should do. And here's how they decide what they should do. They, they share the miracles that God is doing among the Gentiles. And the way the Spirit is poured out on them, Peter says, just like he was poured out on us. Now, what's the issue? The issue is these guys don't have good doctrine. So, you think that they're going to write them a letter and say, listen, you need to believe in the Trinity. Okay, You need to study this. You need to believe in the Trinity. You need to understand the cross. These things are important. Do you get that? You understand that I'm saying this for... Because these things are important. You need to understand the resurrection. And how many know you need to understand the resurrection? You understand it's important. the Trinity is important. How many of you believe that? It's really important that you understand the cross and what side you live on. The cross and what the cross did for you. And it wasn't by your works. It was by his works that you got saved. These things are all important. You understand that, right? And so he, they write this letter to the, to the Gentiles. And the letter says this. Um, he talks about, uh, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll read you a piece of it right here. So they wrote them a letter. It seemed good to the apostles and elders in the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas named Barbaeus, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent them a letter. And they said, the apostles and the brethren and the elders to the uh, brethren who are Antioch, and he names the cities, uh, who are Gentiles, greetings. Since we have heard about some of our number, have um, given you instruction, I'm sorry, since we have heard that some of our number to whom we have given no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us, having become one mind, to select men to send you our beloved Barnabas and and Paul, and who risked their lives, and he goes on to that. And here's what it says, here's what they told him to do. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from fornication. And if you keep yourself free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. He gives these Gentiles four things, three of them having to do with things they eat, and one having to do with their sexual purity. And what I'm getting at is this, is that... These are people, later on, now we have about, you know, 20 years, 25 years later, we have the book of Corinthians, where these people who got this initial letter, probably people who got this initial letter that said, listen, just don't do these four things, okay? Don't eat things that are sacrificed to idols. Don't eat animals that have blood in them. Don't fornicate and whatever. The, don't eat things that are unclean. Don't, don't eat those things. These people were being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they're moving powerfully in the gifts of the Spirit. But by the time they get to, the, by the time they get, as the church begins to grow, and as, as by the time they get to, like, you know, 20, 30 years out, these people have great experiences, but poor doctrine. And Paul begins to write to them in the book of Romans, the book of Corinthians, the book of Ephesians is written, again, to people who would, who would be, Um, pagans. At one time they were pagans. And he begins to teach them the foundation principles of the kingdom. But here's the point. They've already experienced the kingdom. They just don't have good theology. My point is this, is that there are lots of people that are having right experiences and bad theology. 
It's not okay. It just doesn't make them a heretic. Paul meets some people. How many know that the, the doctrine of the Trinity is really important? Raise your hand. I, I'm raising both of mine. I think it's really important. Paul meets some people in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 19, and he says to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? Here's their answer. We didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. Not, we didn't know there was a baptism in the Holy Spirit. We didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. Are you with me? He said, but the verse opens with, and Paul met some believers. He met believers. And he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? And they said, we didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, what baptism were you baptized into? And they said, we were baptized into John's baptism. And he said, John baptized for, John baptized for repentance. And it says, and then, so he took them and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, they were, they prophesied and spoke in tongues. Now you say, well, he was talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Well, he didn't ask him that question. He didn't say, did you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Now, how many of you understand what they received, when they received Jesus, they did receive the Holy Spirit. They just didn't know it. My point is, is that they experienced something they couldn't articulate. But they were called believers. <laughs> That's a good word, actually. Um, in Acts 18, I'm st- in Acts chapter 18, there's a man, verse 24. Now, there's a man named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man who came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit, and he was speaking and teaching accurately. Everybody say, accurately. The things concerning Jesus being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. How many of you understand, your theology is not perfect? Well, we're right. Maybe you are. You're like, you're teaching what you know accurately. But Priscilla and Aquila came along, and here's a man who's great in his scriptures. This, is a, this, is a, this man is having a profound impact on culture, and yet he doesn't have it all right. And somebody takes him aside... Priscilla and Aquila. And by the way, isn't it amazing that Priscilla is named first and she's teaching him? Women's Mother's Day. She's teaching the man. (laughs) Here we go. So, I think, what am I I trying to say by, by all this? I'm trying to say that I think that it's really important, theology... Theology, theo, God, the study of God is really important. And that we have good doctrine, it's really important. And so many people have gotten off in their chasing crazy things and doing crazy things. And 
it's, it's, it's really bad. But my only point is this, is that people in the Bible experienced God before they understood Him. They had real experiences that maybe they would explain in a way that wouldn't be accurate. So, I think it's important to realize, now we're talking about prophets and prophetic people and false prophets. I mean, bad doctrine doesn't necessarily make you a false prophet. As a matter of fact, I would propose to you that the greatest teachers on the planet right now don't have everything right. But here's the problem. You don't know where you're wrong. <laughs> um, in, second, uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, and you, you know these verses well, people are, of course, drunk in the spirit or intoxicated, whatever. They're speaking in t- unknown tongues. And Peter stands up. And says, listen, and people are saying, these people are drunk, man. They're acting crazy. And Peter stands up and says, listen, these men are not drunk as you suppose. (laughs) The connotation is they are drunk, just not as you suppose. (laughs) But this is what the prophet Joel spoke of. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on what? All flesh. Your sons and daughters shall what? prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even upon your bond servants in those days will I pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Now, why is this important? Because when the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit begins to pour himself out on all flesh, and I actually mean, I actually believe that he's going to pour our spirit out on all flesh. That the, the initial response, now this is kind of interesting if you want to be like nitpicky about doctrine. The Holy Spirit falls on these 120 and actually they are speaking in tongues and they're acting drunk. And when Peter grabs a verse, he doesn't talk about being intoxicated. He talks about prophesying and having visions. But there's nothing in the experience in the preceding text that says they were prophesying and having visions. It says they were acting drunk and speaking in tongues. But Peter's like, close enough. <laughs> in other words, the point is, is that the, in Joel, Joel talks about a time when the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And Peter's point isn't that the manifestation is the same. Peter's point is the Spirit is the same. Uh, you just have to think through that to understand when I, where I'm going. So, um, prophets. Jesus um, said this, it's, so that would be pretty important. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. We'll just get into this a little bit. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware the false prophets. Be aware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, everybody say inwardly, are ravaged wolves. You'll know them by their fruit. Grapes do not gather from thorn bushes, nor do thistles, um, nor, nor figs from thistles, do they? Every good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. So then you'll know them by their fruit. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will, everybody say, who does the will of my Father. Who is in heaven will enter. Verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Say this, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This, you who practice lawlessness. Okay, now, therefore, let's go down to verse 24, we'll finish this up. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, therefore, let's stop for a second. Jesus said, listen, in the last days, false prophets will arise. Now, what he didn't say is, in the last days, all the prophets will be false. That would have been really simple. He wouldn't have to say anything about fruit. He'd just say, listen, if anyone, if there's any prophets in the last days, they're all false. Listen, in the last days, if anyone prophesies, they're all false. Anyone who does miracles, they're all false. Anybody who does signs and wonders, they're all false. Listen, if you live in the last days, beware of people who do miracles and who prophesy, they're all false. If that was the case, he wouldn't have said, check out the fruit. Are you with me? Check out the fruit. Now, what is the fruit? What is the fruit? Is the fruit the prophecies? Is the fruit the miracles? Is the fruit the healings? Well, I don't think it is. Because he said, the, 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 he said Jesus said, <laughs> You know, the truth is I'm so excited. Like, my brain is going faster than my mouth. I like the subject. He said, many will say on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? And didn't we perform miracles? Now, Jesus doesn't say, you're lying. You did not do miracles. You did not cast out demons. You did not prophesy. If fruit were those three things, he would easily say, listen, people who say they do miracles and don't, those are your false prophets. People who say they cast out demons, but really can't, those are your false prophets. And what I'm getting at is this, is that there are false signs and false miracles, but the false signs and false miracles are not the miracle itself, but remember the inward heart. Now, so he says, now he tells them a parable. He's giving them, he's giving them a life picture. He's saying, listen, this is what I mean by fruit. Remember, he just said, depart from me, you who are lawless. In other words, he's, he's, he's not arguing that they didn't perform. He's not saying, you didn't perform. Get away from me, you non-performers. <laughs> you didn't do that. No, he said, I never knew you, and I can tell because you're lawless. And you're like, okay, what, is Jesus talking about... Listen, they're supposed to keep the law of Moses. That's the problem. They didn't keep the law of Moses. He could have very easily have said, Listen, depart from me. You didn't keep the Ten Commandments. It's, that's what he's talking about. But he wants to make sure that you know what he's talking about. So he goes on. Therefore, 
everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against the house, and it did not fall, because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was his fall. You're like, what does that have to do with false prophets? Jesus is describing people who are lawless. What does he mean by lawless? You heard my words, but you didn't do them. What's the difference between here, in this, just in this one passage? What is Jesus teaching us? The fruit is the ability. The, the fruit is that you are a servant of God who actually does the works of God and doesn't just preach something and not carry it out. And he said, the one, so he says, listen, you'll know them by their fruit. Therefore, there's two men. One builds his house on a rock, one on a sand. Who's he talking about? Listen, the context is true and false prophets. The true prophet builds himself his house on a rock. Does he have problems? Sure. He still experiences the bad weather. He still experiences the storm. The, the false prophet builds his house on sand. Both of them have troubles in their life. One of them falls, one of them doesn't. Why? Because one guy listened and did it. The other guy listened and didn't do it. And the Lord said, that guy's a phony. He didn't let me influence his heart. And he built on sand. And this Randall Worley's revelation. He built on sand. What is sand? It's pieces of rock. It's choice scriptures. I take a few scriptures and I build. Listen. I build on little pieces of scripture. I have my, I have my six scriptures to validate everything I'm teaching. And listen. I do have a struggle when you major on something that God, I don't have a problem with you teaching something like, here's an obscure verse, and you're like, here's what I think about it. That's awesome. But I have a struggle when your whole ministry is based on something that's mentioned once in the Bible and no one else ever preached. I don't know if you got what I just said. I have a struggle when, you're ma- when the major part of your ministry is about something that the disciples never taught, the apostles never taught, Jesus never taught, somebody mentioned it, but no one ever practiced it. It's like, but this is my ministry. It's like, well, that's interesting that you would have a whole ministry on something God whispered. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it, it can feel like sand to me. Little pieces of doctrine. I, I don't like when people, when people uh, um, create a ministry on obscure verses. I'm saying that's their whole ministry. I love when someone's teaching and they have a great foundation and they, they take some obscure passage and they share their revelation. I'm like, oh, it's amazing. I just don't like when they build the whole house on it. <laughs> okay. Um, there's two kinds of false prophets. Turn to Acts chapter 16. How are we doing for time? Acts 16. This will be interesting to you. Verse 16, I believe. Yes, verse 16. It happened that as we, um, that's speaking of Paul and Luke, the writer of Acts. 
It happened as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination. Everybody say, a spirit of divination. Who met us, was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling or foretelling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bond servants of the Most High God and are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. These men, I, I want you to get this. These men are bond servants of the Most High God and are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of, there, come out of her. And it came out that very moment. When, when, their mas- when her master saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before all the authorities, and they brought them to the chief magistrates and said, these men are throwing our city into confusion. Okay, what's the point? Here's a lady, and she has the spirit of divination. You know, isn't it interesting that what she's prophesying is true? Okay. Second point, just because somebody gets a word right doesn't mean it's the right spirit. People are like, do psychics tell the truth? That's not the question. The question is, what kind of a heart do they have? So there's two kinds of false prophets. There's a, there's a false prophet that has a gift from hell, the spirit of divination, and a heart from hell. How many of you know we all had a heart from hell before we knew Jesus Christ? Are you guys Greeks, or you understand that you had an evil heart before you knew God? How many of you know that's a basic truth? Okay, that's why you had to be born again and be a new creation and get a new heart, because your old one was bad. He took yours out and gave you his. He took your brain out and gave you his. That's why you have the mind of Christ. Okay, you understand that? This is simple. You're supposed to know all this. By now you should be teachers. That was, a, that was a joke, actually. I mean, that's in the scripture. It's, it's Hebrews 5. But, okay. But here's my point. She is speaking the truth. But it's an evil spirit. So, how do you tell if somebody is a false prophet? Well, if you're going to judge it by the gift, you're going to be really confused. Because sometimes... And I'll show you in a few minutes. Sometimes good prophets, God's prophets, get the word wrong. And sometimes false prophets get the word right. Which I have been crucified for on the internet. Listen, when Jesus met people who were demonized, what did the demons say to them? What did the demons cry out? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, shut up. The demons told the truth when Jesus was around. The demons did. And even though I said you can tell how when the devil's lying when his lips are moving. Actually, the devil will tell you the truth if it benefits his demonic scheme. He used the truth on Jesus. He actually quoted the Bible to Jesus in Luke 4 and Matthew 4. He quoted the Bible. The devil will tell you the truth if he can destroy you with it. So, the first type of false prophet is somebody who has a gift from hell, the wrong spirit. 
and they have a wrong heart. This lady doesn't know God, and she has the wrong spirit, the spirit of divination. Here's a second kind of, of false prophet, is a person who has a gift from God. Romans 11, I think it's a verse, is it 23? Romans 11 something, 29, says that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. What does that mean? That means that I can, be, I can receive the gift of prophecy or the office of a prophet. I can, uh, gifts and callings. Um, we're not going to do all this tonight. But the office of a prophet is a calling. The gift of prophecy is a gift. That's why it's called the gift of prophecy. <laughs> Pretty deep. The office of a prophet is a gift of Christ. The gift of prophecy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Two separate things. But here's the point tonight. Somebody can receive the gift of prophecy or the office of a prophet and then walk away from God. Now, how many of you understand it takes a calling, a gifting, and an anointing to have a ministry? A calling, gifting, and anointing. The gifts and callings are what? Irrevocable. Once you get them, God never takes them back, whether they're natural or spiritual. Now, we don't have any problem with that. We know that somebody who can sing, how many know every good gift comes from God? Somebody who God, uh, who God gifts with the ability to paint? We, we, we don't say, well, if they paint a bad painting, they don't know God. If they paint a good painting, they know God. We don't judge the painting doesn't determine the spirit. Are you with me? So the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, but the anointing ebbs and flows with a relationship with God. How many of you understand that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for the Lord has a what? Anointed me. So anointing gives me the, the, the purpose. Anointing gives me purpose. Anointing is the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. I can receive the gift of prophecy, and once I receive it, I always have it. I can receive a call as a prophet, or any other thing. We're just talking about prophets and prophecy tonight. It could be anything. It could be any gift God gives you. And walk away from God. Guess what I get to take with me? My gifts. But guess who's anointing my gift now? If I take my gifts and I take them into the other kingdom, guess who's feeling the car? Guess where I'm getting the gas from? I'm getting the gas from another kingdom. But I got the gift. I have the... Listen, do you see the difference? Here, this woman in Acts 16, she has the spirit of divination. An evil spirit got cast out of her. The evil spirit is foretelling. When the evil spirit leaves her, she can't foretell anymore. So she has a wrong heart. She has a bad heart. She doesn't know God like we all did. I'm not... I'm just, I'm not saying she's, you know, I'm just saying she has, she doesn't know God, so she has a bad heart and she has a bad gift. But there are people who, and this, this is controversial in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, but I believe there are people who are called from birth to be prophets. It would take a long time to explain it. We do it in the um, in the school of the prophets. I take you through the scriptures and show you, like there are people like Jeremiah who God said, before you were formed in your womb, I called you. 
Well, that was Old Testament. I believe there's New Testament people who were, who were formed in the womb to be prophets. But God never takes away free choice, which is, I don't even know how all that works. Well, listen, let me just say this. Would you believe this? That somebody who's walking in total darkness has a call on their life from God. And that every gift that they have in total darkness, let's just say they're whatever, they're a nurse, they're a doctor, they're a mechanic. How many of you understand that that gift that they have is from God? We, we don't, every gift that you have, your ability, your breathing is from God. The good gifts that you have are from God. You take them into darkness and you use them for something else. Nobody goes, well, that's, that's a false gift. Well, it is if you have the spirit of divination. But you can have the right gift and have the wrong heart. Maybe I'll just give away my punchline and, and share for a few more minutes. What makes a person a false prophet? Bad heart. When you do the fruit check, if you want to do the doctrinal fruit check, you're going to have a real problem because there's a lot of people that have bad doctrine, that have great experiences with God, and you know, when they start describing it, it's like, oh, don't talk, just experience. <laughs> Please, we're not going to put you up here to explain how you think that happened. Seriously. You know, any more than the polytheists in the book of Corinthians. I'm not saying they're any longer polytheists, but I'm saying their theology is polytheism. That's why Paul has to explain to him, listen, our gods don't fight because we only have one God. And by the way, all these different gifts you guys are practicing, awesome. Only one God. Oh, in case, you're, in case you don't understand what I mean by one God, only one spirit. Only one Lord. Our Lord is one Lord. And you would know that if you knew the Hebrew God before you got saved. But because you didn't know the Hebrew God, you don't even know that God is one. So I have to teach you, people who are moving in miracles, that God is one. I can't even imagine what kind of classes the Corinthians were giving before Paul corrected them. I can't even imagine. It would be, can you imagine? It's like, okay, today we're going to do the God of Wisdom. And Bill's doing that class over here, and Chris is doing the God of Prophecy over here. And, by the way, it's the year of the Word of Knowledge, because the Word of Knowledge God won this year. That's the kind of, that's, do you understand, I'm being extreme, but that's the mentality that they came out of. You're like, listen, they're not believers because they don't have it right. Come on, guys. What did Abraham know about the Trinity what did Abraham know about the Bible? He didn't have a Bible. The, any, I mean, you know, the law didn't come along for 400 years. You think he had a great understanding? Oh, yeah, he knew all things. Man, I'm not saying that theology isn't important. I'm just trying to say, when you start judging someone's relationship by their theology, there are a lot of people who are having great experience with God. They have terrible theology. It irks me, it drives me crazy, especially when they have ministries, and I go to a conference, and they're the, one of the speakers. Yeah. I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus. And I'm like, just let him pray for miracles, and we'll do the teaching. Because at least I know I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> I understand, I know, I get it. 
that are spreading this stuff. Are you with me? Okay, and so he says, You are from God, little children, you've overcome them, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. They are from the world. Who? The false prophets. Therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God, what does he do? He listens to us. Isn't this interesting? Remember the Matthew passage we read earlier about Jesus said, you're lawless. And how does Jesus measure lawlessness? He says there was two guys. One heard and didn't do. One, the other heard and did do. <laughs> and Dudu had a son and became one of the mighty men. One heard the word and built, and that man was the man, and that one heard the word and did what he was told. That man built a house on the, on the rock. The other heard the word and didn't do what he was told. That man built his house on the sand. Here, John says, listen, you'll know false prophets. Why? Because they won't listen to us. They don't listen to anybody. Why? God talks to them. Common thing with false prophets, they're hyper-spiritual. Usually starts out with, the Lord said. I mean, the Lord tells them when to go to the bathroom. The Lord tells them what church. The Lord tells them everything. The Lord tells them everything. And when you start to talk to them, they say, well, the Lord, the Lord this, the Lord that. And listen, we believe in the word of the Lord, don't we? Isn't that what we're talking about? But when I have to preference everything with the Lord told me, and the Lord said, thus saith the Lord, and I'm here as God's prophet to you. And I can't have any influence. Listen, if, the, if leadership doesn't have influence in your life, you're listening to the wrong spirit. I'm telling you, that spirit is moving across. I'll be careful. I am concerned about people who cannot be influenced by leadership. Well, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, he happens to be invisible. So I'm not sure who you're following. They are from the world. Verse 6. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. He's not just specifically saying they listen to me. They're just saying they're listening to us. They can be influenced. They can be taught. They're still teachable. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one that does not love does not, what? Know God, because God is love. Listen, do you understand? We used to sing that, Beloved, let us love one another. That song's about false prophets. <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another. The love is of God. And everyone that born is born of God. You know, he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4. I don't remember the passage I just read. That's a beautiful passage, but the context is false prophets. You didn't even know you were singing about false prophets. He's saying false prophets are not motivated by love. They are not rooted in love. Now, we're going to talk a lot about love. Now he's going to talk to you about, listen, well, I love. I love. I'm not a false prophet. I love. Now he's going to say, this is what love looks like. 
Because how many of you know Heidi's message? Love looks like something. So now he's going to say, the false prophet says, I love you. He says, okay, this is what love looks like. And he starts talking about love. But remember, he's still talking to you. He's still warning you, don't become a false prophet and don't let false prophets influence you. How do we know them? Well, first of all, they don't claim that Jesus Christ is, is Lord. Okay, well, that eliminates like all the, you know, Buddhism and all, all the false religions. And he goes, that's test one. Okay, they got through that screen. Does that mean there's not false prophets? Well, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. Awesome. That doesn't mean you're not a false prophet. Here's the rest of the screen. Here's the rest of the way. Listen, false prophets, false prophets don't listen to anybody. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's awesome. But you don't let anybody influence you. You haven't passed the second test. Does that mean I'm a false prophet? No, it just means you're listening to the wrong spirit. You're heading that direction. Do you understand? I'm not saying they're a false prophet because of it. I'm saying they're heading that direction. Next thing says, Beloved, let us love one another. So now he's going to say, Listen, false prophets don't love. People who are birthed in God love. Verse 9, By this the love of God was manifest in us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be perpetuation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we ought to what? Love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. This is an interesting statement in the midst of this context. Because he says, no one has seen God at any time. What's he talking about? He's talking about people like, God showed up to me. He's like, well, it's not shown in the way you love people. If God showed up to you, we would know it because you would love people. Verse, uh, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 15, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. And we have come to know, and we have believed, the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in, uh, uh, abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this, love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in the world. Verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Now, that's a powerful verse. But let's, take, let's, let's insert the verse into the conversation we're having. He's talking about false prophets. And he says... Listen, how do we know the difference? Like, be careful that you don't listen to the wrong spirit. How do I know if the wrong spirit's speaking to me? Well, the wrong spirit doesn't confess that Jesus is Savior. Mm, that's good. The wrong spirit doesn't listen to us. Oh, I see. The wrong spirit is hyper-spiritual and, and knows everything but doesn't want to be influenced. Ah, oh, the wrong spirit is a person who's like, Oh, I've seen God. I've, I've, I've done all this spiritual stuff. He's like, God, oh, it's not showing in your love. And the wrong spirit is people that use fear to control other people. Their prophecies are full of fear. Listen, this, he 
who, who loves knows God. Let me get it right. Verse 16. We've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. This is interesting because I, I, I don't know any Greek, but, the, but this feels like a process. We have come to know and we believe and we have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. We may have confidence in the day of judgment. Think through this. We may have confidence in the day of judgment. Why? Because we've loved well. Because we've loved well. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love actually forces fear out. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Powerful verses. When I start to get prophecies that's, that are rooted in fear, be careful. When I start to make judgments against people to scare them into the kingdom, be careful because see, I have when I am when I'm loving well, I'm giving mercy to people who don't deserve it. So I can be confident in the day of judgment. Why? Because judgment will be merciless to those who have shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. If I have loved well, and, and again, the context is in prophetic ministry. If I have loved well, if my if my prophetic ministry is a love language of God, if when people get a prophecy from me, they feel kissed by God, when, when people get healed, they feel embraced by God, when people get delivered, they, they, they know that God loves them. When, you know, we have these five love languages of, of you know, human love languages. That's, that's all great. I love it. God has love languages too. One of his love languages is miracles. God wants to love well through miracles. Do you understand that he, Jesus said to go out and do signs and wonders? And when someone got healed, he called it a sign? Why isn't it just a healing? Why, isn't, why is a healing a sign? What's it a sign of? It's a sign. Listen, if you follow that healing, it'll lead you right to the love of God. <laughs> This sign, healing, says this way. You'll find love this way. Prophecy says, follow it this way. You'll find love. Everything's done for edification, exhortation, and comfort. That's why he didn't send me a tormentor. He sent me a comforter. (laughs) And he said, the kingdom of God is not eat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy. Not righteousness, peace, and some torment. So, we need to be done for the sake of time. We'll, we'll take this up. There's pages to go. If you have any desire to learn more about this stuff, it's in basic training for the prophetic ministry. There's a whole chapter on false prophets. Um, the last part, the last page of the chapter is on how to get somebody, how to help someone who's moving in the wrong spirit, how to turn them. But I, I just want to say this, that 
I think there is so much misunderstanding. We throw around the, the word false prophet, people all the time, like that person's a false prophet, that person's a false teacher, that person's... And what's strange is that it's almost always boiled down to theology. Which, again, I just, you know, I, I know that this will get misquoted. Someone will, you know, Chris said, da, 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 it's Facebook, it's social networking. I don't know. It's, it, it can be a demon. People quote me on there, and they even think they're doing me a favor. And I'm like, I don't even believe that. That statement needs the rest of what I said to be true. I believe in doctrine. I mean, this is what I do. This is what we do. We travel the world, you know, releasing the kingdom, and a bunch of that is teaching the Bible. <laughs> People are like, you don't teach the Bible. It's like, what, what, what am I using? This isn't the Koran. I read it every day. But to judge whether somebody has a relationship with God by how well they know this book is going to get you in trouble. First of all, you'll think that people who know the book really well know God. And I'm going to tell you that that isn't true. And you'll find people that don't know the book at all or very well. You know, they know there are four verses. This is the person who led them to Christ, you know, 35 years ago. It's the only verses they actually know. They repeat those, and then I don't know what they do with the rest of the book. It's just frustrating to me, as it probably is to anybody. Especially if they come out of VSM two years later, and they're teaching stuff. I'm like, and they're like, well, Pastor Bill, like, Pastor Bill never said that. I don't know where you got that, but Pastor Bill, I've been with him 33 years, and if he said that, I must have been sleeping somewhere. How people get a part of something and repeat it. But the struggle I have isn't that. The struggle I have is the way that people have no discerning of spirits. Listen, if you wouldn't need discerning of spirits if all you needed is good doctrine. You're like, that person's got bad doctrine? They're a false prophet. Well, just throw out the discerning of spirits then. And by the way, he didn't just say in the last days there'll be false prophets. He said in the last days there'll be false teachers. You know what I think a false teacher is? Chris's opinion. This is not the opinion of our sponsors or anybody else. Bill didn't say this. I said this. I think you can teach people right out of a relationship with God. I think when you, when people, when people, when you teach people principles that don't need a prince, you have teach, you've been, you've become a false teacher. I actually think when you think you have all the answers that you have taught people out of a relationship with God. I think when you take away mystery that you take, pe- you take people out of a relationship with God. I don't think you can even actually understand this book without the Holy Spirit. I, so, I'm serious. Are you saying you have to speak in tongues and know? No, I never said that. I'm saying the word, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I think... This is my opinion only. Get this? Don't write Bill. I think Bible plus spirit equal truth. Truth. I think Bible, 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 Bible without spirit equals religion. No. Now wait, 
I know, I wrote something on Facebook about religion, and people were like, well, James said there's, there's good religion. I, I, I know that. So this is Chris's definition of religion. Form that doesn't take you into the presence is religion. If I have, if I do, if I have disciplines that don't lead me to God, it's called self-righteousness. And pretty soon I get confident because I do good stuff, but I don't have His presence. And that to me is bad religion. So I understand there's good religion, orphans, widows, all that. I'm talking about Chris religion. Chris definition of religion. Beware of false prophets. Beware of no prophets. Beware of non-profit organizations. I can't wait to finish the other half of this teaching. In Deuteronomy, if they got the word wrong, they were stoned. Do you know that the... Do you know, I don't, I don't know that they stoned any prophet, in, false prophet in the Old Testament. Maybe they did. Maybe you know of one. I, can't, I, I was racking my brain trying to think of a prophet. I know Moses said, if a prophet speaks, God said through Moses, it's Deuteronomy 18, if a, pro, if a prophet speaks presumptuously and his word does not come to pass, he's to be stoned. But I don't know of any that they did stone. Maybe they did. But here's Jesus' commentary to the Pharisees. You stoned the prophets. Which of the prophets did you not kill? And I'm going to send you more prophets. It's Matthew 23. I'm going to send you more prophets, and you're going to kill them too. So people are like, well, they stoned the, the false prophets. Well, actually, Moses told them to, but the truth is, is actually they stoned the real prophets. The, experience, the teaching was stone false prophets, but the experience was they stoned the real ones. And by the way, in the Old Testament, lots of prophets got it wrong and didn't get stoned. And I'm not talking about marijuana, or I'm talking about rocks. <laughs> That's the truth. Read it for yourself. First Kings. First Kings. Jehoshaphat tells the Israeli king. Do you have any prophets? Listen, before we go to war, I want to talk. I want prophets to tell us what to do. He brings in 400 prophets, not false prophets, prophets. They say, go to war. Joseph goes, are these the only guys you've got? He says, give me some prophets from the Lord. They bring in 400 prophets from the Lord. They go, go to war. I saw this. You're going you're to win. Oh. Joseph goes, I don't feel good about this. But these are only, this, you know, he's got 400 of them. It's like, is this your whole prophetic team? He goes, no, we got this other guy, but he doesn't like me. He doesn't really like me. He goes, I'd like to hear from the guy who don't like you. He comes in and he goes, I say go to war. Jehoshaphat says, I discern you're not telling me the truth. He goes, yeah, I'm not. Actually, I'm not. Actually, what's going to happen is the Assyrians, yeah, I saw you. This is going to be good. Those 400 false prophets, they spoke the wrong word. None of them got stoned. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6, Nehemiah is trying to rebuild the walls. And there's a prophetess named Nodadiah. And, and other prophets 
who, who Nehemiah says, and he said, when? He said, they were, they were trying to scare him. He said, I said to myself, should a man like me run? And when I said to myself, should a man like me run? And then he said, I will not run and I will not hide. He said, then I discerned that they had not spoken by the Lord. But he said, but Nodadiah and all the prophetess and all the other prophets were speaking against me to scare me so I wouldn't finish the work. What's the point? Prophets all through the Old Testament prophesied bad stuff and got, never got stoned. And they were still called prophets. They weren't called false prophets. Yes, there was Balaam. He was a false prophet. I'm not saying there was none. I'm simply saying that a lot of prophets got the word wrong and were still called prophets in the Old Covenant even. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> Crash land the plane. There's a... There's a non-profit organization. There's a false profit organization. There's a bad profit organization. And then there's a pretty good profit organization. And, and, and then there's the great profit organization that actually has good doctrine with their prophecy and that makes everybody happy, except for people who don't believe there's any prophets today. And then they're false prophets anyway. <laughs> so weird. I don't know. Anyway, I have a website dedicated to me. I think it's maybe Bill's on there too. But he's only a false teacher. They didn't stone false teachers. On the website, I mean. So, what should we do? I'm right about this. <laughs> or most of what I said, I believe. Almost everything I said, I agree with. And I think I will tomorrow also. It's really important that as the Holy Spirit pours out His Spirit on all flesh, and that as one of the main manifestations of God pouring out His Spirit is prophecy, as a matter of fact, He said, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you would prophesy. Listen to this. For greater is the one who prophesied. I didn't say that. God did. For greater is the one who prophesied than those who speak in tongues. All I'm getting at is this. If one of the main manifestations of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. I'm not saying the only, but one of the main ones. It's mentioned over and over and over. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. He poured out their spirit on them and they prophesied. It's kind of important that we understand the gifts of the Spirit and that we grow in discernment because it is true that there are false prophets and there are people with the gift of divination who moved in among believers. And they get everything right, but your spirit goes, something's wrong. Yeah. I've had it happen to me many times. If we're going to judge prophecy simply, only, did you hear the word only? By the outcome of the prophecy, we're going to miss it both directions. 
we're going to say some people who have accurate words, we're going to say, well, they must be prophets when the truth is, is they're leading people to hell. And we're going to find other people who get it wrong sometimes. And we're going to go, that person must have a spirit of divination on them. Well, you know, the truth is, is that I think that there's three times that I can think of that the spirit of divination is mentioned in the Bible that I can think of offhand. And I think every time, every time I, in those three circumstances, they all gave right words. So we need the gift of discernment for where we're heading. And we need to listen. We need to listen to our spirit. I want, I want to be careful because I don't want to desensitize us to just kind of like everything goes. I don't want to, I don't want to have a culture like everything goes. Just, people just do whatever. It's like, oh, so good. God showed up. It's like, wow, you know, where we're going, there are evil spirits trying to stop us. But I don't want to be... I don't want to be devil conscious either. Like everything, you know, it's like, well, man, that could be the devil. And you know that the gift of discernment, you know, suspicion is the gift of discernment. Anointed with jealousy and bitterness and hatred. So some people that have the gift of discernment, when it gets anointed with other things, it comes out really weird. And we start having judgments about people and... You know, I, I tell you, you know, we've lived through um, people saying, well, the sheriff has this evil thing on him and he's a witch and this stuff. And, you know, destroying people's reputation because of this thing that we have inside us is I'm uncomfortable with that. So here's the tension. I'm leaving you with tension on purpose. What do I do with that? Go talk to God. On one hand, we need discernment. On another hand, we better be careful how we practice it. Because when we start destroying people's reputation because we have this, you know, we used to call them Holy Ghost beepers. We're like, beep, 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 beep. And all of a sudden, we develop a whole case against someone who has a perfect reputation until we got involved. And, and we have watched that happen. And I'm like, I don't want that. But I also know we need this where we're going. And this cannot even know much about the spirit realm. But this knows. And so I want to follow this. And I, I, want, I want people to have good teaching. I want our students and our congregation to, to understand and rightly divide the Word of God and be you know, workmen who understand the Word. And I think it's important that you read your Bible every day. I mean, it's like, ha, oh, this is not deep. Like, read your Bible every day. Well, how much do I read? I, I don't know. Ask the Holy Spirit. Read your Bible every day. Understand what the Bible says. That's, that's really important. It's a foundation for everything we do. But as important is build a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Along with getting to know the Word, the Word should take us into relationship with the Holy Spirit. So would you stand? And I'm going to pray for the gift of discernment to be released on all y'all. tell you, the Texans, they need to write a Bible. Yep. We wouldn't be eating manna, we'd be eating grits. I'm sorry, I just feel a little bit something. Would you just put your hand on your heart right now? 
Holy Spirit, I pray for the gift of discernment to be released over this community. In Jesus' name. Discernment that transcends our experience, transcends our mind, and is able to look past people's mistakes, is able to look right into the very heart of the matter, and knows the root source of ministry, the root source of people's motivation by the Spirit, not by suspicion, not by anything else. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would open up the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that every person in the sound of my voice would actually have a relationship with you. Not that they had a relationship with you. They have a relationship with you. They currently have a relationship with you. That when you speak to them, they do what you tell them to do. That not that they did ten years ago, but they do currently. And I pray that we would love well. I pray that when people, when they come in contact with us, that they would come in contact with the lover of their soul. This passionate lover that lives inside of me, inside of you, would draw people into the vortex of his compassion and passion for people. Lord, teach us how to love well and teach us how to manifest the Holy Spirit through the love of God so that people feel exhorted. They feel comforted. They feel built up. You said build one another up in the Holy Spirit. Lord, we just pray for that right now in Jesus' name. Lord, if there's anything in us that's that's dark, that's not of you, anything that's messing with our thoughts, anything that's influencing us, any any kind of you know deception or divination that's trying to weasel its way into our thinking or maybe has taken over one piece of the kingdom of our heart. Lord, I pray right now that you would shine a light on that right now. I feel like there's... Um, I, I'm sorry, I just had this picture. I, I'm trying to describe it. I'll just tell you this picture I had. You know when you go into the, the dentist's office and he turns on that really bright light and looks in your mouth? And it's like, man, you've got to close your eyes. I feel like the Lord's just turning on light in our heart. And, and for some of us, he may be going, well, that right there, I, I would, I would, that needs to be work done. And Lord, I pray that, that you would take anything in our hearts that maybe looks good on the outside, but has wrong motivation. Wrong spirits motivating that thing. I pray that you would reveal it and then that you would deliver us from it. In Jesus' name. The pure in heart will see God. Lord, we want to be pure in heart. Who can ascend to the holy hill? He that has a 
clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, we want to go high. We want to go far. I want to pray one more thing. Lord, I pray for all of these people who are coming. And, and so many have been having visions, and I, I've had them too, but of millions of people coming. Uh, Bob Jones saw billion, a billion soul harvest. Yeah, I jokingly said last year, the animals are coming. And I, I had this vision last year or the year before, I don't remember, I'm sorry, but they were carrying the Book of Mormon. Some of them were carrying the Koran. And they were and they were rushing to the church. You think you have theological issues now. <laughs> they don't even have the right book. And so I want to finish this prayer. Lord, I pray that we would be fathers and mothers that know through wisdom and discernment how to nourish these people who are coming out of the world out of worldliness, out of all kinds of false religions and humanism and different lifestyles. that and, 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 and they need to be loved into the kingdom and they need to be taught well. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom as we embrace this million soul harvest that's coming. Teach us when to, when to discipline. Teach us when to encourage Just teach us, give us skills to pastor this strange flock of people that are coming by the hundreds of thousands, like David's mighty men. Thank you, Lord. Amen.